Hello, and welcome to Unhedged, a candid discussion of markets and mechanisms. I am your host, Frank Trois, a 25-year-plus veteran of the markets, both bull and bear. Joining me on the show are market participants ranging from hedge funds to fintech, and as diverse and eclectic a group as winemakers and priests. All of us, like you, asking the same question we all do when we turn on the TV nowadays. Why? Unhedged is a weekly podcast and on occasion a bi-weekly podcast based on the subject matter. You can subscribe to Unhedged through iTunes. As always, your feedback is appreciated, both good and bad. So let's get started. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Unhedged. This is Frank Troyce, and I'm here today with Ajay Sagal from Newvest Capital in Singapore. And Ajay, if we can pick up the thread we were talking about earlier in regards to GIC and, and your time there at its foundation, when, when um, a lot of the or research at that time, uh, and again, I don't mean to date either you or I, but but wasn't this at the same time that a lot of the research we take for granted now was like when I go back to the uh, Brinson Bebauer analysis regarding, you know, where, where returns are actually derived from. I mean, was, refresh my memory. Was that stuff even published when GIC was founding or, or was that later? Um, yes. Yeah, some of that research uh, was already around. Uh, Bebauer uh, is a name I'm quite familiar with. I met him personally. So we were actually trying to learn from these um, gurus, uh, if you like, of the investment world. And because GIC uh, was relatively new, um, we had to go out there and knock on doors and uh, people had to like find out who we were. Uh, so it was a steep learning curve for us as well as the external uh, parties who, were, uh, who we were trying to look up to and learn from. Uh, but very quickly, I think we established very good um, access to, to these researchers. And that way, I think um, GIC benefited tremendously from people who were very knowledgeable and uh, experienced uh, in the investment world. And who who of that group, when, when uh, you know, in those years... Uh, so again, you, you, you know, we talk about the, the Brinson B. Bauer study. And again, just for our listeners, that was the study that can, can Ajay, correct me, that, that the, uh, what was it, over 90% of all returns could be attributed to simply the asset allocation, correct? Uh, yes. In fact, uh, they made a study which was a, a real eye-opener for us. Like I said, in the early days, we knew no better um, than to just follow the pension uh, model, which essentially was 60, 40, 60% being in, in equities and 40% in global bonds. 
And what uh, the Bebauer uh, Princeton research that you cited uh, pointed to was that uh, in a portfolio like that, uh, whilst it may appear on the surface to be broadly diversified, but in, uh, in, in reality, as a matter of fact, uh, if you look at it statistically, uh, it was carrying more than 90% of equity risk. In other words, mm. more than 90% of the volatility of that portfolio was coming from equities and less than 10% was coming from bonds. So from that perspective, it, it was uh, hardly, it could hardly be described as a diversified portfolio. No wonder whenever these um, crashes you know, take place from time to time, you will find that a 60-40 portfolio um, suffers um, a lot of uh, damage or a lot of drawdown uh, to the tune of, let's say, if the equities market were down <clears throat> about 50%, then a 60-40 portfolio could easily be down, um, say, about 35% or so. Wow. Yeah. And, 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 and you've, you've shared with me, uh, I think, some terrific stories, and I think our listeners would benefit from it in regards to uh, who were some of the people, you know, that, that you met that rather than, you know, going in with a mission to sell product or sell a transaction, who, who for GIC were really seen as the, as the thought leaders who, who managed to take a step back and, and realize the opportunity to work with what was now becoming more world renowned as a sovereign wealth fund. But who, who from the hedge fund side or, or, or the uh, traditional investment side did, do you feel really helped drive the agenda and, and keep GIC on the cutting edge? Oh, this is a, a, a risky question to answer because I, I'm probably <laughs> going to miss some names, uh, but really we were so, um, <clears throat> I would say, uh, blessed uh, to have a number of people who were willing to help us and to guide us along the way. Um, <clears throat> in the early days, uh, I remember in the very early days, we even had um, the ex-president uh, of the World Bank, whose name mm. Mr. Wolfenson. <laughs> oh, sure. Yes. James Wolfenson. James yeah. Wolfenson was uh, one of the early people to come around to uh, help us. Uh, I forget the name of his outfit back then. It was a, it was a private investment company uh, that, that uh, we had. I think it was his firm. I think it was Wolfenson yeah. and Associates, right. if I remember right. right. Yeah. Um, and then we also had um, help from the Rothschilds uh, Bank uh, when we were setting up the framework for GIC. I think uh, they came in and uh, was a consultancy uh, arrangement and, uh, you know, they, they gave us some very useful advice in the early days. Um, wow, just so many people along the way. Um, there, was an, there was a fund management firm that was based in Boston that helped us on the equity side. I do think they, yeah, they, they actually ceased operations, but back then uh, they were called HMH, uh, named after hmm. the three uh, principles. I can still remember their names, Hagler, Mastrovita, and Hewitt. 
Ah, wow, based, good. Based in Boston. Uh, they helped us a lot on the equity side. Uh, then further down the road, <clears throat> I remember getting my first few lessons in asset allocation uh, from this gentleman who's now become world-renowned uh, as, as an authority on asset allocation called Rob Arnott. Oh, yeah, sure. Back then, he didn't have his own um, outfit. He was working with a, a firm called TSA based in Los Angeles. And oh, he was right. kind enough to take me in for six months. And uh, and it happened to coincide uh, with the uh, October 87 crash. So I was in a... My goodness. I was in a, you know, if you um, want a, a, a place to learn asset allocation in the hot seat, I would say that would be it. Because <clears throat> in that uh, experience, the TSA people were following their asset allocation um, uh, models um, very, very strictly. And their models were telling them to own 100% uh, bonds uh, on the eve of the October 87 crash. And they were 0% in equities, which was, in the wow. eyes of the world, the, the, the craziest thing to do because everybody was in love with equities. That's and right. uh, in, in just... One day, uh, their fortunes, you know, uh, turned upside down. <laughs> or I should say right side up. Because <laughs> up until October 19, uh, 1987, you know, they were very, very uh, unhappy because the losses were mounting. And yet, uh, in just one day, uh, they made back everything that they lost. And that was a very powerful lesson for me. Uh, to, to, to learn that was asset allocation that made all the difference. It didn't matter on, you know, when the crash happened, whether you owned IBM or you owned some utility stock, uh, everything went down. But if you were in bonds, uh, you actually made money on that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing too, because that then Rob, to your point, he ended up. Uh, that was if he did a TSA, so that was prior to him founding First Quadrant, oh, yes, correct? Yes. Which was, was before yeah. he um, joined. Uh, I think he left TSA to join Solomon Brothers, and then after that, you know, he he, he went on to First Quadrant, and then now, of course, he has his own firm called uh, uh, Research Affiliates. Yeah, and, and, and now he's considered probably one of the uh, founding fathers of, of, of yes. all of the, uh, uh, you know, the way to, to interpret mm -hmm. these indices in terms of how they're constructed. Yeah. And, and what about the – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, I could just go on. The list is very long of people who uh, <laughs> have uh, helped educate us, uh, the investment professionals in the GIC. So I've been very fortunate to be at the receiving end uh, of, of these uh, – <clears throat> uh, lessons to be learned. And what 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 about the? Um, I'll bring up one name you haven't mentioned, and I, I know we could probably spend uh, a fair amount of time. But what what was Ray Dalio's impact on GIC and and helping form some of the thinking there? Uh, yeah, that's a very long story <laughs> because when when we first. <laughs> uh, um, came across Ray Dalio, I think he was, I think it's fair to say he was relatively um, unknown or, or 
less well-known, shall we put it that way, was less well-known than he is today. Today, of course, everybody in the investment world knows about Ray Dalio. But back then, um, uh, it was still a bit of a novelty, his uh, approach to uh, investing. Uh, so we were very um, interested in sort of pushing the envelope. And what he brought to the table for us was a couple of things. One was, of course, his uh, uh, very famous uh, hedge fund, which has grown to be the largest in the world, uh, Pure Alpha. Uh, but mm -hmm. besides that, I think he also brought to us the idea of a passive portfolio, a diversified passive portfolio that could withstand all the ups and downs uh, of the marketplace in all conditions. And I think he called it back then and to this day is probably still called the all-weather portfolio. That's correct. So yeah. uh, we found it very intriguing. And uh, uh, the good thing was that uh, because we had we had a relationship uh, with his firm, uh, he was willing to basically guide us and help us to better understand uh, how the the whole uh, asset allocation, you know, framework within the all-weather portfolio uh, worked. So it became a great, again, a great uh, learning experience for, for those of us in GIC. And it's amazing because for, for our listeners, when I remembered when uh, Ray, for me, early in my career was uh, – part of the daily faxes that we used to receive because at the time he was just a research mm -hmm. shop before he began right. managing money. And, and to your point, a lot of the work that he was doing in asset allocation was, was, you know, um, I don't want to say crazy, but it, it was perceived as so off the wall initially. And, and, but at the same time, smart money like you and, and GIC understood that he was, he, he was correct in terms mm -hmm. of what mm -hmm. he was doing. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, we learned a lot from, from him and his uh, team. Um, but I wouldn't say that, you know, uh, I shouldn't single out any one of these people as uh, uh, being the only uh, sort of uh, entity or organization that helps you achieve. Really, there's a multitude of them. So, uh, yeah, GIC was a great place to, to, to learn the ropes and... Uh, uh, yeah, expand our horizons. Well, on that note, Ajay, why don't we take a quick break? And we, when we come back, if you wouldn't mind, um, we're definitely in a unique investing environment today. And if you don't mind, I'd love to spend a little bit of time talking through some of the things that you're thinking about and how you're now taking that 30 years of, of uh, knowledge and, and experience and deploying it today in the market. So for our listeners, please stay tuned. We will be right back with Unhedged. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to SohoCap.com slash Unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. People, people 
And that'll do it for this week's segment of Unhedged. As always, thank you for tuning in, and we'll look forward to talking and speaking next time. Take care.